Ooh, I know. Over here. Over here. Real men can fight. Ooh, I know. Real men get a lot of money. Real men get a lot of girls. Ooh, over here. Over here. I got a good one. I got a good one. Real men have lots of sex. The hands were coming at me from every direction, but all I could do was shake my head. Several years ago, I had a chance to engage in what I would say has been one of my most rewarding professional experiences. At the time, I was working with a program that was assisting a school with decreasing violence within that particular middle school. And every week I would meet with a group of boys and discuss various issues that were taking place at the school. And so we would talk about the violence that was occurring, um, different fights that they might be getting in, bullying, things of that nature. Uh, But one particular conversation, we actually got to talk about manhood. And so during our conversation, what I asked the boys to do is provide me the characteristics of what a real man was. And I was shocked by their answers. Actually, I wasn't really shocked. But what I got was real men can fight, real men get a lot of money, real men have nice cars, real men have lots of sex, have lots of women, things of that nature. And so as I was listening to their descriptions, I was struck by a couple of things. Number one, I would be low on the spectrum of manhood based on these characteristics. But number two, I was more struck at how these traits came to represent how they defined manhood. And so I asked them, you know, where did you hear these things from? Where, where did you learn this at? And so some of them said that they learned it from friends and family. Others said that they learned it from TV or music they listened to. And others thought they were more innate. So these were more just things that you kind of were born with and that you just knew about from birth. And I was troubled by what I heard because I knew that these were distorted views of what manhood and masculinity were. And I knew if these young men were going to try to live up to these expectations or these characteristics, it was going to cause a host of issues for them later on in life. And with that, I want to welcome you to another episode of Show Me Your Scars. I am your host, Eric Stiles. And for the next several weeks, I'm going to be having conversations with a group of men who I feel are often misrepresented, and that's black men. And so for the next several episodes, we're going to have a series which I would probably entitle Black Men Speak. And so with these conversations, what I want to do is talk about how these men have navigated some of their toughest challenges in life. And I chose black men for a couple of reasons. First, I I know that black men as a group are often misrepresented. And so black men are often portrayed as hyper-aggressive, hypersexual, incapable of expressing themselves, and in some cases, inhumane. And second of all, I want to have these conversations to challenge this concept of manhood and masculinity. And so with these conversations, I want to show that as a group, we are thoughtful, expressive, responsible, and intelligent men who will talk about our feelings, how we manage our emotional and mental health, and that we're unafraid of being vulnerable and honest about our insecurities to show what manhood really looks like. And so I hope you enjoy these next several episodes.
This is Marcus, more specifically, William Marcus Miller. Marcus and I have a lot in common. Aside from our love of HBO's Insecure, we both share the same first and last names as our fathers, but go by our middle names. In case you didn't know, my first name is George. Additionally, we are both black male educators who have graduate degrees in counseling and worked at the same community college in Virginia, Tidewater Community College, which is where we met. We both considered a career teaching at the K-12 level, but shifted after realizing that wasn't the right environment for us. However, for Marcus, his transition to higher ed was one that didn't feel natural in the beginning. First, I worked at Domino's for 10 years. I was a CSR, I was a customer service representative, and then I eventually transitioned to the manage, management um, position too. So, you know, I, I, and I knew I would eventually leave Domino's. Um, I was skeptical to, to, to actually find out what I would actually do. Um, but when I went to TCC, I said, you know what? I'm just getting these hours in. I'm gonna definitely bust my butt while doing these hours but I have to look for a job after I finish these hours. So um, I remember working like 12 hours at Domino's and then I would wake up the next morning, eat, drink about three different Starbucks drinks and head over to TCC and I would give them my best. Like I would, I would smile in people's faces. I would respect them. I just, I just tried, I just tried my best to not let them see what I was dealing with at home, what, where I came from, from Domino's. Um, and it was, it was hard. It was so hard. And what, during, you said during that time you were working on your internship, what were you studying in school? So I was attending Old Dominion University and I was, I was studying human services and education. So I essentially wanted to be a teacher, but um, when I took a course, it required me to do a couple of volunteer hours. So I volunteered at my brother's elementary school and I was like, oh no, I can't, <laughs> I, I, I can't do this. Um, but I definitely can counsel or, or empower or encourage a student, but I definitely cannot teach. Um, so then that's when I made the shift and I, sw I swapped my primary major to human services and counseling and I minored in education. What made you believe that you could like empower somebody and counsel someone? What was it about that that kind of stuck out to you? Um, my mom would always uh, mention to me, well, I'm the oldest grandson um, on both sides. Okay. So um, I always was spoiled. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was the first one. So anything I wanted, I got and, and all that good stuff. But as I got older, um, a lot of my family would always call me, Eric. They would always call me, hey, Marcus, I have a situation. Or, or hey, uh, Marky, there's something going on with Nana and I need to know how to handle it. Or they, they, they would just reach out to me for best practices or how should I approach this or, or my aunt's doing something wrong to my cousin and how do I, so they would always run to me for just ideas or how to approach certain situations or how to handle, um, you know, uh, certain, uh, certain, I guess, issues. Um, right. They would just always run to me and my mom would always say, I don't think you realize the type of person you are and the type of, um, uh, you know, how, how, how many, like, like, like how your family, they, they truly run to you for a reason. 
And I, and I never understood that until I got older. And, you know, she would always often say, you know, you, you, you are the middle ground, you know, you, you know, you listen, you know, and all of that good stuff. So. Wow. And so you did an internship at TCC. Um, and what happened after that, like with the institution? So after completing my internship, uh, Mr. Chapman, Thomas Chapman was my um, internship manager at that time. And he offered me a job. And the position was a counselor's assistant. And Eric, I tell you the truth, <laughs> uh, when, he, when he told me to pay, okay, so, so this is how it went. So um, he offered me the position. He said, hey, I know you're graduating from ODU. I know you're looking for employment. We, we, we don't want you to leave. You, you are so contained. Um, you know, we love your spirit. You know, you work hard and, and you know, we, we just love you, William. So we don't want you to leave. So can you take this position? And the position paid $10 an hour. Okay. And I was like, um, Mr. Chapman, uh, like, bro, like, I, I, I work at Domino's and they pay me way more than this. And, you know, but, you know, so I went home. I said, I'll, I'll think about it. I said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, being so gracious, being so grateful. Um, I, I was like, thank you. Thank you. I, re I appreciate it. But I'm going to talk to my mom about it. So I went home and I, and I said, Ma, they want to, you know, they want to offer me a job. And she was like, well, duh. I mean, I don't know why you're so surprised. And, um, but I told her to pay. And she immediately said, take it. Oh, wow. Okay. I was like, but why? And she said, Be <laughs> and I was like, but why? And she said, because Marky, you, you can move up. You can move up. Um, that's where your degree is in. And this is not where God is going to keep you. So take it. And I said, okay, mom. I'm a, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll take it. I'll go ahead and roll with it. But I, but if I don't like it within a couple of months, I'm leaving. And then, she, and then she said, okay, so take it. So I, I took it. I took it. And Mr. Eric, I did not like it. I, I, I did not like. I did not like being the assistant. Okay. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming from a managerial position. So I'm coming from you know being the head and telling people what to do. You know, um, having a schedule, you know, just, 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 just being that point of contact. And now, like, I'm the assistant to people who are smarter than me, you know, who are, um, it's a total different environment. It's a total different world from what I'm accustomed to. But, um, but, but, but as the months went by and as the years went by, it, it was not, it was cool. So initially, you mentioned you hated. You felt the people were you know, smarter than you. Did you? Were you like insecure, or what was it that you hated most about? Oh, yes, I was definitely insecure. Um, I was I was insecure on 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 a various amount of levels. I just felt like I wasn't up to their par of professionalism. Um, I also felt like like why would they want me? Like you know, like it's just and and and. and so I guess that's me being insecure again, because I, I like I, I never thought that I would be, um, you know, an assistant in an office, um, even though that was my ultimate goal. Right. I, I, I never thought that it would happen the way it did. Um, so I was yeah, I was extremely insecure. I was. Extremely, 
And then I wanted to represent my mom. I wanted to represent, um, you know, the woman who raised me. I wanted to show them, you know, how much work she put into me. And, and I thought I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. For Marcus, family is everything and has played a huge role in his identity. His mom, his brother Malik, who he affectionately calls Mimi, his Nana and his Pop Pop have all played a huge role in who he has become and the choices that he's made. How did you get into just education in general? Because I know you said initially you were thinking about becoming a teacher. What kind of drew you to education? My pop-pop, my mom's dad um, thought I should be a teacher just because, um, you know, he thought it would be a great field for me to go in and I fit for that particular role. Um, and I, and my pop-pop was, some, was someone who I looked up to as my, my, my dad number two. You know, and I always wanted to make him. I wore my, my, my intent on this earth was to make my family proud. Like, like I always wanted to make them proud. I feel like I didn't even exist. I just needed to do whatever they need, they wanted me to do so I could make them happy. Um, so my papa wanted me wanted me to be a teacher, and, and that's the route I was going. That's the route I was going because he felt like I could work um, a full year. I will have two to three months off, and I can travel, and I will still get paid. Um, so, so, so he broke it down like that for me, you know, and he always told me, hey, you need to be self-sufficient and not live with your mom. You know, you, you, know, you got to stand on your own two, stand on your own two, your own two feet. Um, so that, that's why I kind of went under um, education. It's because of my pop up. And, and then and then I geared it towards counseling. So he didn't he didn't get a chance to see me finish. But um, I, I feel like I am still teaching in a sense just in a different context. Absolutely. So it sounds like your, your family had a tremendous impact on not only you professionally, but just in general. Um, like, how would you describe your, your family life growing up? Um, I would say they were very supportive. They were very, on, on both sides. My family was very supportive, um, extremely supportive and, and when my, so my mom and I moved down to Virginia in 97 and we were by ourselves. So our family would often come down, you know, check in, stay the weekend with us because my mom's job uh, moved her from Bayonne, New Jersey to Virginia Beach. So um, we, we literally picked up everything and we moved here and started, started my life. So my mom would always say, Marky, it's just me and you. So you do your part in school and I'll do my part with going to work and you know we'll make this thing work um so so I would say they were extremely supportive you know for birthdays and Christmas and holidays we would make the travel or they would travel to us um so they were extremely extremely supportive how old were you when you moved down to Virginia 97 I know what grade I was going I was going to fourth grade so okay. what is that 88 98 is 10 so I was nine and you said it was just you and mom at that point. Where, where, if you don't mind me asking, where was dad? So my dad, uh, he is also a native of New Jersey. So I'm actually from Jersey City, New Jersey. And my mom and dad dated like from childhood. Childhood, from, from childhood to high school, 
to a little bit of college, you know, it was that kind of love with them. And it just didn't work out, you know, it didn't work out. So this is the story that I was told and I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so I was told that my, my, my mom gave my dad an ultimatum and the ultimatum was either you move with us or, you know, we're done. And I think my dad opted to stay in Jersey because, you know, he's, he's a man's man. So no one's going to tell him what to do. <laughs> and uh, my mom was, my mom was a very powerful woman, you know, on, 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 on various levels. Um, so he opted to stay there, you know, and he actually takes care of my grandparents. So they're still living. Um, but he lives downstairs in the duplex from my grandparents. So yeah, he opted to stay and mom and I came down by ourselves. And so you, you, you described your mom earlier as being a powerful, powerful person. Tell me more about your mom. Um, just selfless, you know, uh, a workaholic too. She, she worked for military seal of command for over 30 something years. I want to say 30 years because then she moved on and then she started working for, um, the, the shipyard base in Portsmouth. I forgot the name of it. I can't remember the name of it, but, um, so she's been working for the military for over 30 years. And she's always been like, just like a superwoman, you know, always supportive and always there and gave me whatever I needed. No, no matter the costs, no matter the sacrifices, she would do whatever she needed to do to make me smile. You know, I, I remember one Christmas, Eric, when we had a very, very, uh, well, well, we didn't have good money that Christmas. I remember, I forgot how old I was, but I was, but um, I, I remember it so, I remember it like it was yesterday because she thought I wouldn't be happy. And the Christmas gifts she bought me were just movies. Um, she bought me The Big Green, the, um, Toy Story, um, Peter Pan, uh, Air Bud, and they were all VHS movies, okay? And she wrapped them in this huge box. And she said, hey, you know, I, I, I couldn't do what I wanted to do, but this is what I could get you. And, you know, I got you next year. I said, mommy, this is, this is fine. This is amazing. Like, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for these movies because they came from you, mm. you know? And, and she cried. She's like, oh my gosh, like, why are you so awesome? And I'm like, no, like, I see what you do. I see you go to work. I see you you know, put stuff on the table, you don't even have it. I see you make a way when you don't even have $10 to get us the next week. I, like, I, I watch and I observe and I see all of your sacrifices and what you've done, you know, to become women you are today. So I said, these movies, th this is my PlayStation, this is my bike, this is the things that you would get on a regular basis. So I was so grateful for those movies. And um, I think that really opened her eyes to just to, just how deep our connection was. Wow. Has your connection, have you all always had like a very deep connection like that? Oh yeah. Yeah, we've always had a deep connection. Um, you know, I think it's just always something about like that mother-son relationship. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say we've always had a deep connection on various levels.
Clearly, Marcus's mom was his rock. She was a powerful woman who he could lean on and who would protect him from the harsh realities of life. But like, like I remember um, when I was in sixth grade, when I started middle school, and I had a very, very rude um, sixth grade teacher. Her name was Miss Clemente. And I went home and my whole energy was off. And mommy was like, what's wrong with you? And I said, nothing, you know, you know, I'm good. She said, no, what's wrong? So I said, my sixth grade teacher, Miss Clemente, she's just mean. And, you know, it just, it just, it just, you know, she, you know, she's just so disrespectful. And I just feel like she's, she, she's this and that. So my, so because my mom was a single mom, you know, she, she couldn't just take off work. So she wrote a letter. And, and she wouldn't let me read the letter. She, she put a letter on my back and she said, please show this to Ms. Clemente when you come to school today. So I took that letter to Ms. Clemente and she was never mean to me again. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know what she said. I don't, know, I don't know what words or what encouragement she wrote in that letter or maybe not even encouraging words. Um, but she never was rude to me again. So we had a parent conference because of that letter. And I remember my mom saying, do, um, do you, I don't think you realize the joy my son has when it comes to school. He loves school. And what you're not going to do is shift that experience for him. I mean, I mean, she, uh, yeah, Miss Clemente was never rude to me again. Um, so, so she, she always protected me. You know, she always set boundaries for me. So I didn't have to do that myself. And, um, yeah, she was just, she was an angel. Wow. Yeah. But so, so you ended up taking the job and what happened with it? So, um, within a year, um, two first year success advisors were um, leaving their positions and Mr. Chapman came to me again <laughs> and he said hey um, so you know such and such are leaving would you like to move on up and get a raise and I said yeah of course like I would totally I would I, I need the raise you know I can do the raise and I didn't even realize what the job really was um, but I was like yeah I'll do it sign me up what do I got to do and where can I you know start um, well when can I start so then I became a first year success advisor. So essentially I was responsible for new student orientations. Um, I would assist and yeah, so I was, I was, I was responsible for that. I, uh, I advised students. Um, I did different data, Excel spreadsheets. Um, I, I also taught a couple of, um, um, student success. Um, what's it called? Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. The uh, SDV. Um, yeah, yeah, not 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 the course, but I taught a couple of the um, workshops. Work okay. Um, so I did a couple of like phone Apple workshops, of course. It has to be Apple with me. <laughs> but I would do like funny, uh, you know, um, workshops called Happy Hours so instead of Happy Hour, but you know, change it to the app. Ah, okay. Yeah, I did things like that. So, um, so I kind of soared in that position um i just i just i took advantage of it and the money was amazing 
so that even made it even more, uh, you know, more enjoyable. Um, but then I was able to like help my mom out a little bit more, um, and I was able to help my brother out a little bit more, you know. So I had a, I had a little bit more of a um, financial cushion when it came to that position. Eventually. Marcus gets another promotion and soon becomes the lead academic counselor. Beyond the additional pay, he is now responsible for supervising four other counselors. His hard work and commitment were paying off just as his mother predicted. But while he was excelling professionally, his earth was about to shatter. So while you're working at TCC, um, something happens with your mom. Yes. Uh, yeah. So um, it was, I think, three semesters um, before I was graduating. And she kept like saying, hey, you know, my head feels weird. You know, I, I don't feel like myself. So we took her to the hospital and they gave her some blood. So she was, my mom was anemic. I think that's the way you say it. I, um, so her blood was low. So they gave her some blood and she was good. Everything was good to go. So then we took her home. And then she, so at that time, my Nana opted to come up to help me. So because I was going to school, I was, I think I was still working at Domino's at the time too. And I was, you know, I was helping my mom with Mimi. So I was taking him to school. I would drop him off. I would, you know, I would, I was doing all this stuff. So Nana was like, I'm going to come help you. I'm going to come help you, you know. So I'll worry about your mother, you know. So I, I, so yeah, I want to interrupt, but so you were working, so you were working at TCC while also getting your master's while also working at Domino's. Yes, I was doing all three of those. <laughs> and I was helping out with my brother. So I would pick him up from school. I would arrange my schedule to where I can pick him up or drop him off because my mom needed help um, at that time. Um, so, you know, I just, I made it work because, because even though my mom was married, you know, I, I, I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be there like she was there for me. Like I, I made it work, period. You know what I mean? When it comes to your mom, I feel like nothing matters at that point. So my Nana was like, hey, I'm going to come help you. So she got on a train. I picked her up from the train and she um, stayed with mommy. And the, I think the next day, my mom said she was having trouble just breathing. And, you know, it just something didn't feel right. So my Nana said, let's go to the hospital. And at that time, I was, I was in my own place. And my Nana, I think I can remember that day because I try to block it out a lot. Um, but I, I think, yeah, Nana called me and said, hey, we're taking your mother to the hospital. You know, she, she, something just, you know, it just, I just wanted her to get checked out. I said, okay. So I said, I'm leaving. I'm coming now. Um, I'm leaving Kroger. I'm heading right there. I'm not even going to go home and drop off my groceries. I'm going to go right to the hospital. And when I got there, like when I, so, okay, just to, just to backtrack, let me tell you how me and God work. So, as a kid, I've always had dreams, and my dreams will always signify something. Um, I've had crazy dreams, and they, they usually mean something. So three days before this happened, Eric, I had a dream that my mom and I were in our first house in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And she was on her couch, 
and I was on I was on my spot and she looked at me in the dream and she said, Marky, everything is gonna be okay. So I you know, I was like, okay, mom, okay, cool. And you know, whatever it is, okay. Cause I didn't I didn't think it was I didn't think nothing of it. Right. So then she called me again. She said, No, Marky, look at me. Everything is gonna be okay. So I said, Okay, I hear you and I get it. I, I'm I'm listening and I see you. And then to my right side, it was three shadows coming to get her. And I didn't know if that shadow was my grandfather. I didn't know if that shadow was my uncle. Like it, it was just, it was three shadows and she would not move. So no, grandfather and uncle, they had already passed away at this point. Yes, yes. So my pop, yeah, my, my, my dad, I mean, my mom's dad passed away. And then my Nana's brother, Uncle Doug, passed away years ago. I never met him but he passed away years ago. And then my mom was engaged to someone who was murdered. So I thought that those three shadows were those three men, her dad, um, her engaged person, was, which is Mr. John, mm-hmm. and then my, my Uncle Doug. But I didn't think that in a dream. I thought, you know, so then I had to, you know, be, so I was like, why, why won't she get up and move when I'm, I'm trying to tell her to come with me? She will not move. And then I woke up. And that was three days before this happened. So as I, so now going back to where I left off, as I parked my car and I put it in park, my, I felt a cool breeze went through my, it was like a, it was like a cool breeze that went through my whole body. And then my Nana called me and said, Marky, she fainted and she's, you know, you know, where are you? Get here. She fainted. So I was like, okay, Nana, I'm parking right now. I'm coming in. Where are you? So I got to my Nana and my Nana was no good. My brother was no good. Um, my stepdad was no good. Um, and I went to go see her and I held her hand and I said, mommy, I'm right here. You know, I'm right here. Everything's going to be okay. I'm right here. And as I said that, a tear came down her left eye. And I said, okay, so she can hear me. Okay, cool. And then, you know, as the time went by, um, she went, uh, they, they took her upstairs to, ICE, to um, ICU. And apparently what was going on was she had blood clots. And the blood clots traveled so quickly to her lungs that they had no time to remove the blood clots. Mm. So it was so sudden and um, like no one knew, like the, the doctors were running tests because my mom, you know, she would always go to the doctor, you know, for mammograms and all this stuff. And she was, she was healthy. I mean, she was overweight. Yeah. But um, she was healthy, you know, and she would go often and have everything checked out. But, um, and that was it. That was it. That happened on October 15th, 2017, around like 4 p.m. And um, that was it. I shifted to a dad. I shifted. I sh- I, I, I shift roles now. Now I had to get my brother. I had to do some things. I just. I just. Everything changed from that point on. So, in that moment, how were you emotionally? How were you feeling? How How did you react? Um. I it it didn't hit me. I um I. I you know, it didn't hit me. I didn't realize what was going on. Um, and it just seemed unreal, you know, because I've always seen my mom be a fighter. 
and and even back in high school, her name was Tinder Chick because of her body and because of you know she she was a fighter. Um, you know she'll fight you in a heartbeat and she'll win at that. <laughs> so um, I've always known her to be a fighter, and I'm like, what is going on? And then I I and then I didn't, I kept forgetting about my dream until one day I remembered it. I'm like, oh my gosh, God told me that this, this was going to happen, and she told me too. Um, so it didn't hit me until it was the first, no, it was the second Sunday in November. So it took me a month to cry. Mm. It, it took me over a month because I, I went to planning a funeral. I went to, you know, going to the courthouse and being sure I got the house. I had to make sure, you know, my brother was good with school. I had to, I, I, I did so many things and I didn't even realize I was doing it. But then when I was in church on the second Sunday and I had a solo, um, something just hit me and I just started, I started bawling. I had to run to my car and just, I cried in my car. I finally cried in my car. Even at the funeral, I didn't cry. Mm -hmm. Even during the pass, um, the, um, the uh, Passover, I didn't cry. Even at the, even watching her go under for the burial, I didn't cry. So I, so I think I was just trying to be strong for my family, mm -hmm. my brother, but I finally cried the second Sunday in November. Was this while, like, like while you were in the middle of singing? No, I actually, I felt it. I almost felt, I was like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? And then I, I felt the cry coming. So I ran to my car and I sat in my car and I called my Nana. And my Nana said, finally. <laughs> mm. Because I, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't show no emotion at the funeral, at the house. You know, I, I was just getting things done. I was just doing, I was doing what I was supposed to do as the, you know, as the oldest son. And that's the same thing she did for when my, my, um, my papa passed away. Like she, she did what she had to do. She made, you know, made sure the church was right, the burial, uh, the money, all that stuff. And, you know, and then she mourned she finally had a chance to mourn. And that's exactly the same thing I did with her. Mm. Yep. Is that, is that like a common response for you in the sense that you don't cry often or? Um, I would say I don't cry often, um, but then again, I'm a Virgo, so I'm very emotional especially when it comes to my relationships. Um, I, I, take, I take things to my heart because I give my heart. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wouldn't think that I cry a lot, but I think other people would probably assume I do. Mm -hmm. And so after she passed, you, you didn't cry. Did you have any other emotional reactions? Like, were you angry? Were, were you like down? Like, how, how, would, how do you think you were? You know what, Eric? I would say I was existing. Okay. How were the people around you during this process? Your brother, your Nana, even your stepdad for that matter? matter. My stepdad was a wreck. Um, you know, I think he probably took my mom for granted, you know? Um, and probably thought, you know, that would, this would never happen, but, but he was a wreck. So I definitely had to encourage him and, and, 
and prayed for him a lot. Uh, my brother seemed fine, Eric. It was odd. Like, I mean, I mean, he, he broke down and cried a couple of times here and there, but it's almost like he just leaned on me. Um, like it was nothing. So like, I mean, and you know, often he cries here and there sometimes too. My aunt and my Nana, I think they dealt with it, you know, in their own way. Um, yeah, that's all I could say for them. You know, I think they dealt with it in their own way. And the, the people who were there for me was my peers from grad school. Okay. They, they gave me a beautiful card. Um, and you know, they, uh, they put some money in it, you know, they gave me a beautiful card and I was able to, I, so I had to bring Mimi with me to some of my classes, you know, because, you know, so now it's just me and him, you know, and, um, so I would bring him to class and he would sit in the back and do his homework or take a nap and then we would go home. And so that, that it was, so they were very supportive, you know, I mean, they really kept me and supported me and encouraged me, made me laugh. I was like, William, you know, we're, we're here for you. You know, if you know, if you want to go out one night, you know, whatever you want to do, we are here. They were so supportive. It was crazy. I'm like, I don't even know these folk, you know, <laughs> world. but they were, they were more supportive, you know, than my own blood, you know, at some point. So um, they really, really looked out for me. Really, really did. Especially when it came to my brother, which I, I, I really appreciated that too. How old was your brother at that, at that point? Mimi was 11 when she passed. Wow. He was 11. Yeah. And, and she passed. Let me see. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. He, she passed away six days after his birthday. Oh, wow. So she passed on the 15th, and, and he, he turned 11 on the 9th. Was he able to, like, how was he in school and everything while this was after um, well my brother is the opposite of me um so he is he doesn't like school you know um, he's he's not someone who really listens to or well, adheres to rules so he kind of you know schools school is just not something that he enjoys so when the passing took place um it kind of got a little worse you know, like in terms of his behavior, um, his grades were slipping, you know, he just, he just didn't really care um, about school. However, he was kind of a troubled child before my mom even passed away. So he was showing these signs already. Um, he, you know, he, he, you know, he was just, he was opposite of me. So my mom had to tell me one time and it was done. I, I was good. You, I mean, but you got to tell him about three, four, five times and you got to hit him in the head and probably throw a brick at his, you know, at his foot or something like that. Um, he, he, he's just, he's, 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 and he, <laughs> I think he's the male version of my mom. That's what I think. Okay. Because, because my, because from the stories that my aunt used to tell me that my mom was the, you know, you know, that, you know, that one child who like didn't take no mess, but then also got in trouble a lot because their mouth would always get them in trouble. <laughs> so that, I think my brother is my mom. Mm. And I was the opposite of my mother. So, yeah. Wow. And, and so you mentioned that you kind of, once your mom passed, you kind of started taking care of them. You take them with you to the class. 
um, he would be with you a lot. Like where, what would happen with stepdad and during that time? So my mom was actually married before um, the current stepdad. So my, so my brother's dad is the marriage before. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so my brother's dad is, you know, he's different. And he, um, he's, he's not a provider in a sense, you know, financially. Um, so that's why I took the initiative to go ahead and grab him as quickly as I could, because I didn't want him to go into the, you know, the foster care or social services, because I felt as if I, I was more than able to do so. And I, I pretty much raised him. Like I, I've been there and, you know, I've, I've been there since day one. Um, you know, we, we've lived together too, you know, so he was kind of, and, and it's funny because when I would ever, when I would take him places, people would assume he's my son anyway. Um, so everybody was like, is that your son? And it was like, no, he's not my son. It's my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> she got a little bit of fun, you know, when I was in high school, so, you know, um, but, and then she would always say, Marky, he's going to always be under you. I promise he, he's going to be connected to you. So go ahead and love him hard and love him while you can. Um, but like, I, so I, and I felt like I owed that to mom, you know, I, all of the stuff that she's done for me, everything that, you know, you know, she's guided me through and supported me through and put me through and paid for me and did these things. I felt like I owe her that much to take care of me. Mm. And so I know you mentioned that you, you, you cried that second um, Sunday in November. How, how else would you describe, like, I guess, your grieving process after she passed? Um, it comes and goes. It comes and goes. Um, I'm, I'm usually good um, for Mother's Day. But, but her birthday is what really gets to me. Birthday and holidays is what really gets to me. Um, but Mother's Day, I'm good. Um, but I would say it comes and goes. Like I remember um, last year, I asked, I asked my new boss, I was like, hey, can I take off, you know, this week? I just, you know, I just, I, I just want to take off because I feel like I'm not going to be, like I could, I can sense when I'm not going to be myself, you know? So um, I would also, and I would prepare that too. I would say, well, let me be perfectionist and I'll go ahead and plan this out. So just in case I'm not able to work this week and I'll put them out, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've always been the type of person to be extremely responsible. Um, so, so I would say dealing with her passing is, it comes and goes, you know, like, 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 like I never know when it's going to hit me, um, but it comes and goes. After she passed, did you, who did you lean on? I, I, so I know you mentioned that a lot of people were leaning on you, but who did you lean on? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would say God. I would say God because he, like like I know my friends would try to be there for me, but that didn't work. That didn't work at all. I mean, like I'm, I mean, God, definitely God. Um, yeah, him only. And how like what did that look like? Like how how do you feel like you leaned on God and how do you think God helped you through the process? Just because I w I would have a certain peace. 
I would have a calmness about certain situations. Um, I would still think before I react to certain situations. Um, I would just, I would, I so I was able to still be, be myself and be, um, you know, mature about certain, certain things. Um, but I would say definitely God, because I was telling my brother one day, uh, we were having just a little moment about mommy. And I told him, I said, you know, if, if you, if you wasn't here and if God didn't keep me the way he could have kept me, I, I don't know where I would be. Um, yeah, because my, my mom was my, we were, we were best friends. I mean, I, I like we were best friends, you know, we would fight, of course, we would argue, of course, but man, best friends, mm. best friends. So, um, yeah, God, mm. I always, I'm, I'm a sick God because no, no one understands me like she did and like like you know like like so like I, I try to make comments to my nana or my aunt sometimes but they don't like like you know they they wouldn't say what she would say you know what I'm saying and then I would also have to gear my mind like why are you why are you even looking for your mother's response from her sister and her mother like they're they all three different women <laughs> so you know don't don't you know don't don't feel offended or get upset if they don't say what your mother would say because they're not your mother um so i would say god what what do you think um like what do you think is the most important lesson that you learned from her um, I would say it's so many, um, but I would probably say the one that stuck out to me or sticks out to me the most is just to put God first and trust him. Just, just so literally like, like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Put him first and follow what he says. Um, yeah, um, I like, I mean, there's so many lessons that I've, I remember and that I've learned, but she would always just, she would get in her bed and then she would read a book or, or, or I'm sorry, uh, she would read the Bible and she would always just read and study and read that Bible. And then whenever a situation would come up for me or whenever I needed something or whenever I was, I would need like just some encouraging words she would say here go to Luke or oh, here just uh, uh, read read John I'm like I read no Bible come on now I'm not doing that and then she, she would say all right watch it don't, don't. <laughs> like you too grown but uh, but she would always reference um, the Bible and the word and and uh, putting all of your trust in God what did you learn about yourself um dealing like going through this grief the loss of your mom and the grieving process i'm strong <laughs> i am powerful i i am like one of my favorite quotes is from um, frederick Douglass when he says you know we are truly powerful beyond measure and it scares us that we're that strong but i'm truly a strong gentleman i like I, i'm i'm strong 
I'm so, 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 so strong. And I'm so grateful for acknowledging that strength in me, you know, but yeah, I'm strong. I'm reminded of an earlier part of our conversation when I asked Marcus to describe his father. He talked about how his father was a man's man, someone who liked to work on cars and build things with his hands, while he, on the other hand, enjoyed reading books and was a self-described nerd. And if you were to ask most people to describe what a man looked like to them, for many, it would be Marcus's father. But I want you to take a second and imagine this. I want you to picture someone who bravely stepped out of their comfort zone to travel into a territory they were unfamiliar with to create a new future for themselves and support their family. Imagine, if you would, someone who lost the person they were closest to, but in the midst of their own pain and grief, still got up every day to take care of their family and support the needs of those that were closest to them. Imagine someone who, without hesitation, stepped in to be a guardian, protector, and provider to a young child who lost his mother just days after his birthday. Someone who sacrificed their own wants and needs to make sure they created a legacy for that child. Undoubtedly, you would call this person fearless, strong, and resolute. And clearly, this would be someone who epitomizes manhood and embodies what we should think of when we visualize a real man. And if that's the case for you, then who you should be visualizing is Marcus. More specifically, William Marcus Miller. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Show Me Your Scars. A special thank you to my guest, Marcus Miller. I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to share your story. And thank you for all that you do in our community. And a special thanks for all who have joined me on this podcast journey. I hope you will tune in for another episode. Thank you. <laughs>